you were up to them. So now this morning we will look at some of the actual prayers of Rosh Hashanah. Last time I focused on the what the Torah has to say about Rosh Hashanah. The claim was that, of course, the Torah speaks about Rosh Hashanah only two two times, but in these uh, sections dealing with the festivals, sacrifices, and then I suggested that there's another there's a narrative in the Chumash upon which the calendar essentially is based. The Jewish calendar is based primarily on the book of on the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus has two parts, the first part being the actual Exodus. So the holiday, of course, that commemorates that is Passover. And then the second half of the book of Exodus is about, one might say, the spiritual Exodus from Egypt. And that has to do with leaving Egypt, standing at Sinai, then, of course, the story of the golden calf, which prevents the Mishkan from being built, the Mishkan being the goal of the book of Exodus, and then Moshe, the people, intervene and ultimately allow God to give, encourage and allow God to give a second set of Luchot, Moses having broken the first, and once you have the Luchot, you can also build the Mishkan, because the Luchot was the missing piece of the Mishkan, and that the story of the golden calf, however, it doesn't, there's a story about how Israel and God become reconciled after the story of the Ego. The story of the Ego, of course, is the story that lies behind Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, we are reminding ourselves of the Ego all the time. The main service of Yom Kippur is a reenactment of Moses' uh, intervention and God's uh, and Moshe's dialogue after the Golden Calf. And after that, you can build the Mishkan. So that's Yom Kippur followed by Sukkot. And then the claim I wanted to advance was that the story that precedes that, which has to do with what makes the reconciliation possible when Moshe sets up his tent outside the camp far away and he calls it the tent of meaning he calls it the Mishkan and the people have two responses some seek out God some travel and seek it out and the others will stand inside their own homes and when they recognize that God is present far away they bow down by the door of their own tent so I talked about that and Yerush Hashanah is really about <coughs> recognizing God is present but far away. That's, that's the idea of Rosh Hashanah, the distant God. And after, you know, after Tisha B'Av and after the three weeks, which is about God's absence, moving from Tisha B'Av to Yom Kippur and then to Sukkot eventually, there's this intermediate stage that we call Rosh Hashanah, which signals the advent of, of Yom Kippur and also Sukkot. And Rosh Hashanah partakes, one might say, both of Yom Kippur on one hand so it's a day of preparing ourselves for atonement, for reconciliation. From the other standpoint, it's, a, it's also a holiday. It's, 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 it's the precursor to the holiday of Sukkot, which is the, happy, the happiest time. So Rosh Hashanah has those two elements. Therein lies the paradox of Rosh Hashanah, that on one hand, it's a day of introspection. day of used to be an old custom to fast on Rosh Hashanah, actually. Uh, and then from the other side, it's a, it's a joyous day. So that's it's Rosh Hashanah. So I thought that it would be a good thing to look a little bit at the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. Can't do all the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. So let me just say a few things about the Rosh Hashanah service. First point, very important point, is that 
the Rosh Hashanah service is a very lengthy service. You have the core prayers of Rosh Hashanah that we already find in the Talmud. And then there are many different pieces that are added on to, to the Rosh Hashanah service. Special prayers, poems, piyutim, and all that. The key is always in every discipline to understand what is central and what is secondary, tertiary, peripheral, etc. It's not easy to do on Rosh Hashanah. And sometimes I would add that what it was actually secondary from one perspective is not secondary from a different perspective. So that, for example, there is this core structure of the Rosh Hashanah service that we'll be looking at in a minute. There are also various poems that are added on, on Rosh Hashanah. I would say that in the Ashkenazic tradition, for better or worse, one of the poems that are added, poems, one of the piyutim that we say on, we Ashkenazim say on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, in, in, our, in our minds, is of great significance, maybe even the highlight of the service. And that's the little poem, Unisanatokef. Unisanatokef is a medieval composition. The Talmud doesn't know from Unisanatokef, obviously. And from a structural standpoint, I would say it is irrelevant, actually. One did not say Unisanatokef from the standpoint of the structure of the Rosh Hashanah service and Yom Kippur as well. Nothing has been lost. <coughs> On the other hand, it's a prayer that for many reasons has uh, in their minds enormous significance and power. There's even a legend associated with it, there's always a proof, there's a legend associated with the composition. Something that actually we, we, we Ashkenazim find very central to our service on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Another example would be Kol Nidre, which is even stranger. Kol Nidre is a formula to annul vows which on the surface, A, is of no great significance, and B, has little relevance to Yom Kippur. On the other hand, it's always recited before Yom Kippur. People are crying during this formula, which is the ceremonial annulling of vows, or perhaps the annulling of next year's vows. It's not clear. But in any event, it's not even done on Yom Kippur. It's before Yom Kippur, and yet it has this enormous significance. So the question is, the question in Kondidri is why, but apart from that, my point being that what is of little significance from one standpoint, in the case of Kol Nidre, I would say has zero significance from, from the standpoint of Yom Kippur, but for other, other reasons, deep reasons, uh, it, it achieves enormous significance. I would say, for example, among the Sfardim on Rosh Hashanah, one of the highlights of the service for the Sfardim, without question, is the poem that they recite before they blow the shofar. Which is an awesome piyut, as anybody's farther familiar with that piyut. It's recited before Tzkiyat Shofar. It's a poem about the Akedah. It was written a poem about the Akedah. It's very powerful. And it's very Sephardic also. It's very Ashkenazim have a different view, but it's, it's very powerful. And that for them is without question one of the highlights of the service. Yes? So the question is why is he calling it without the Yanom Kippur? Really, it belongs. Well, first of all, Kol Nidre you study on Yom Kippur is a major problem. The Gemara says we don't, we, we do not know vows on, on the, on, on, if it's annulling of vows, the Mishnah already tells us you're not permitted to annul vows on, on the festivals. It's forbidden, actually. The, the court doesn't convene on the festivals, and the court doesn't annul vows on the festivals. 
which is actually raised from a halachic standpoint, because typically, even though it's called for a certain time, it always runs into Yom Kippur. So that's a technicality. So, of course, the, the other question is, why, what does that have to do with Yom Kippur? Maybe next week we'll talk about it. We meet next Wednesday before. So anyway, next Thursday. Next, uh, next, uh, I think it's next Thursday we meet, yeah. So maybe we'll, we'll talk about Yom Kippur then. But in any event, my point is what is significant from a certain perspective is less significant from another perspective. But it's very important to understand, I think, if you're studying the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, it's important to understand what in our tradition, in, the classic, in our classic tradition, is central. In Rosh Hashanah, there are two things that are central. One, obviously, is the sounding of the shofar. The blowing of the shofar is, is one piece of it. And the other are the prayers that we associate with the shofar, and that is we, the Jewish people, in the, in the additional service of Rosh Hashanah, in the Musaf, we have a special service. There's nothing like it. It's the only service like this that we have, because this service has not seven blessings, which is specific to Shabbos, all the holidays, and Shabbat. In the Amidah, there are seven blessings. There's three in the beginning, three in the end, one in the middle, always one in the middle. Even Yom Kippur Musaf, which goes on forever, is one blessing. It takes three hours, but it's one blessing. But on Rosh Hashanah, it's not so. On Rosh Hashanah, we have three intermediate blessings. Each one has a name. And after each of the three, the, we are sounding the shofar as well. The blessings are malchiot. It's a blessing, not just words. It's a blessing. It ends with Baruch HaTo Hashem, Melech HaKol Ha'aretz, Mekadesh Yisrael, V'yom HaZikaron. It's malchiot. In this translation here, in the Adler Machser that I have, if we all have the same machzor, but in this translation, uh, it is found on page, let's see, Muslim 100 and 130. It begins on 135, and the blessing is found on 136 in this translation. That's the first blessing, called God's kingship. The second blessing begins at the bottom of 136, God remembers that what was created from, from, from ancient times or from eternity. And that's the blessing called Zichronot, Remembrances. And that blessing ends on 138, on the very bottom of page 138, You remember the covenant. That's the blessing that we call Zichronot, then we sound the shofar. And then the next blessing begins on 139, you, are, you revealed yourself through your, in your cloud of, of glory, and that's how it begins, and it ends on page 140, that's the section we call Shofrot. So Malchiot, Sichronot, and Shofrot are the three blessings, three intermediate blessings of Rosh Hashanah. So we have a total of, of nine blessings on Rosh Hashanah. It's interesting that actually we have nine blessings on Rosh Hashanah, because logically we should have ten. Because the normal blessing for all the holidays, without exception, is the blessing that's known. The blessings have names also, by the way. So the intermediate blessing is called the blessing of Kedushat Hayom, the sanctity of the day. The, the, the holidays have what the liturgy and the Talmud calls Kedushat Hayom. They are, they are holy days. The holiness is a quality of the day. So there's always a blessing of Kadesh HaShabbat. The Gemara calls that Kedushat Hayom. The Sabbath is a holy day. The festivals are holy days. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are holy days. 
So we should have the blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem Mikadesh Yisrael V'yom HaZikaron. We do have that blessing, actually, but we don't have it as a standalone blessing. We combine it with another blessing. And the truth is, in the Talmud, there's a debate. What do you combine Kedushat Hayom with? So we, the Jewish people, have decided that we combine the blessing of Kedushat Hayom with Malchiot, with, with kingship. What that means is that essentially, if someone stops you on the street and says, what is Rosh Hashanah about? I'm sure everybody ever did that, but stops you. What, 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 what is Rosh Hashanah? <laughs> in two words. In two words. Exactly, in two words. So, that's a good question. What would you say? The answer is, based on our prayers, it's the day that we celebrate the kingship of heaven. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. That's not the answer most people would give you. Oh, it's the, the days of repentance in this business. It's not a word of repentance in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, as far as I can see. Not in the classic Rosh Hashanah. It doesn't say repentance. Now, it, it, may, it, it may entail repentance, as we'll get to. It entails it as a response. But the, but the prayers themselves say nothing about repentance on Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is about repentance. Because we know in Yom Kippur we say the penitential prayers, we say slichot, and we say confessions. We have long confessions, we have short confessions, we have confession for Ne'ilah. That's, that's, what Rosh, that's what Yom Kippur is about. So therefore, Yom Kippur is a day of atonement. That is true. Yom HaKippurim. It's a day of atonement. We don't find very much about atonement on Rosh Hashanah. In fact, I would say it's fair to say that in the three main blessings, which are ancient, Malchiot, Zechronot, and Shofrot, there's not, there's not a word about repentance in them. So therefore, it's not actually a day of repentance. It does begin the ten days of repentance because it leads up to Yom Kippur, no doubt. But the theme of Rosh Hashanah is, is God's kingship. Now, if the person is not running in the street, rushing through, I thank you very much for your answer. Uh-huh. Can I ask you a second question? Okay, go ahead. What, is that, what does that mean? Uh-huh. What do we mean with God as king? What does that entail? And what is the relevance anyway? To, how does that speak to us? That's, that's a very good question. There's a good answer to that too, I think. There may be the many answers. I'll get to that later. In any event, on Rosh Hashanah, we enthrone God as king. And I would say that the shofar, the shofar actually is the, the shofar is the coronation of God. You know, there's certain instruments that you play at different occasions, like the trumpets and stuff like that, you know. Some of these graduations, they play this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know who they're enthroning there. They're... Uh, the graduation of high school, we are enthroning our 17 and 18 year old children, I guess. That's what we're enthroning them in our society. But the point is, it is it's instruments for different occasions. At a funeral, you wouldn't be playing trumpets, probably, you know what I mean? If we had music. So it's, the chauffeur is, a, is, a, the, chauffeur is a, the instrument that we use to crown God. And in fact, we actually say this. At least the Ashkenazim say it. Because the Ashkenazim and the Sephardim, before they blow the shofar, they say that, they say that the, the piyot of the, the tagline is what? Anybody here say, ever say that? No one ever said it? You're missing something. You've never heard of the Sephardim is the highlight of Rosh Hashanah. So, awesome. Okay, Nekad, which describes the Akedah. The Okay, the one who, who bound to Abraham. Nekad, that's the tagline. 
the one who was bound for Hamizbeach and the altar. Three words. Okay, Nekad Hamizbeach. What else is there to say? He wants to say that. Okay, Nekad Hamizbeach. It's a ter- terrific period. So that's what the Svarim do. The Ashkenazim say something different. What, what, what did we Ashkenazim say before we wore the shofar? Seven times. It's a very powerful psalm. And what is that psalm about? It's very powerful. It's, it's about enthroning God as king. It's an enthronement psalm. God is reigning over the whole world. Not just the Jews, the whole world. The world is gathered together. Awesome, actually. It's an awesome psalm. So that's the shofar. The shofar is the enthroning of God as king. That's what it means that God is king. Now the question is, what does God do as king? What, what do kings do? So in Rosh Hashanah, there are two other blessings that we are saying after Malchiot. The first of which is what we call Zichronot, that we'll get to shortly. Zichronot is primarily begins with, with, with one theme, which is one of the main themes of Rosh Hashanah. Maybe the main theme of Rosh Hashanah. It's the Day of Judgment. Rosh Hashanah is the Day of Judgment. Zichronot means Din. That's how it starts. It starts as judgment. You are remembering the deeds of all people who pokeed ko yitzuri kedem. We'll get to that in a minute. That's the first theme. It's the second theme of the three themes of Rosh Hashanah. God's kingship is one. God, God is remembering. The idea of remembrance, which I think is, from a certain perspective, the main, from terms of our prayer, our experience of prayer, that is probably the main theme of, of Rosh Hashanah. Because the day of Rosh Hashanah in our liturgy is called Yom HaZikaron. Rosh Hashanah is called the day of remembrance. So the idea of memory, remembering, is very central to Rosh Hashanah. It's also the second of the third blessings. It's actually the central blessing. And then we have the third blessing, which is called Shofarot, the Shofar. What does that mean? Shofar has many significances, many meanings. What does it mean in the prayer service of Rosh Hashanah? What is the primary meaning of Shofarot in the prayer of Rosh Hashanah? Anybody know? Just got to read it. You'll see for yourself what it is. In one word. Sinai. What is it? Sinai. Sinai is an example. Sinai is an example. It starts with Sinai. Revelation. It's about revelation. The shofar is present at Sinai. The shofar signals the fact that God is present. This king that we speak of on Rosh Hashanah says our prayers, essentially, is not one who is removed from this world. God is present both in terms of judgment. God takes an interest in what we do and holds us accountable. And secondly, and we'll get to that in a minute, and then God is present throughout history. The the structure of the shofarot, which we're not going to get to this morning, I don't think, is actually very interesting because the structure of the shofarot service is like this. Past, present, and and, uh, future. So the verses, the, the way, let me get to a different point about the service of Rosh Hashanah, which is a very important point. And that is, the Rosh Hashanah service, apart from being distinct in that there are nine blessings, it's the only service we have, is distinct in another way. This is all found already in the, in, the, uh, in the Mishnah and in the Gemara. It's all in the Talmud, actually. All this is in the Talmud. It's ancient. The Talmud has a debate about the, these three blessings about how many verses we are to cite 
in these blessings. Everybody agrees that the, you have to cite biblical verses. The question is how many? We follow Rabbi Akiva's tradition and we are reciting a minimum of ten verses in each of the three blessings. Ten. And not only do we recite a minimum of ten verses in each of the blessings, but they themselves have a very particular order to them. The first three verses are from the Torah. The next three verses, it says, are from the, the writings, the Ketuvim, our practice. is to The next three verses are from the Psalms, which are in the writings. That's, so the first are the Torah. First the three from the Torah, the next three from the Psalms. verses in each blessing. In each of the three blessings. Three from the Torah, three from the Psalms, three from the Prophets, and the tenth verse is from the Torah. It's extraordinarily structured. Three, 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 and one. Now, let me just say the, make several observations about three, 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 and one. First of all, the first question would be, detail, why is it actually three, 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 and one? Why isn't it four, three, and three? We have the tenth verse of the Torah. Three, 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 and one. That's the question, to which is actually a very good answer. And it's an important answer. And that is, if you look at each of these three sec- sections, and this is what, let me, wait for my sweet friends, this is what the davening is actually about. People come into the shul, they walk out, and no one explains the service. How could, nobody is capable of understanding this, no, and nobody could possibly understand this unless someone tells you. I mean, you could spend hours figuring it out. Why should you spend hours? Why can't you just come and say, let, let, let me explain what's going to happen today? And that, that's still not the experience of prayer. I get, but it does, it's very helpful to know you have this sitter, and many people come only these three days, by the way. They have no clue. They have no idea what, what's going on. It's a one big mumbo-jumbo. How could po- anybody possibly understand? Let me just explain. This, who's my rabbi, exactly? <laughs> I have a service. and my service, I do it. I run a service for Sharon Kippa. I suggested it to, I suggested it to myself. I'm making a different point. Why needs a, who needs a suggestion? Isn't it obvious? What suggestion? But if you know Hebrew, well, then you understand what you're saying. No, 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 no. No, no, no. They do with Hebrew. They do with Hebrew. It has to do with a, a service that's extremely complicated, and it has to do with not knowing, and that's the first point I made, it's no one could possibly know what is a major premise and what is a minor premise. In other words, let me, let me, let me give you a different example. If I open up a Christian Bible and, and study it, okay? I, I could study it. I still won't necessarily know what for the Christians is a very important story. The same thing is true of, the, of, 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 our, of our tradition. It's very hard to know. Now, I'll give you a different example. In terms of the, 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 the Kabbalistic tradition, which, by the way, I'm going to be teaching a class with somebody else about the Zohar. After I'm looking forward to it very much. He's doing the Zohar, I'm doing the literary stuff, we're seeing how they work together. In the Zohar, for example, in the Kabbalistic tradition, in the, in, in the book of Genesis, okay, in the Kabbalistic tradition, there are two stories of extraordinary significance for the, for the Kabbalists. I'll tell you what they are. One of them is the story of the chapter 36, the kings of Edom. The kings of Edom. Kings of Edom, is it for the Kabbalists, is a story of extraordinary importance. And the second is the story when Jacob manipulates the flocks of Laban with the speckled and the spotted animals. Let me ask you, 
Anybody who reads the book of Genesis, you pick out the two most important stories. Nobody in their right mind is going to pick out the speckled and spotted animals or the kings of Edom. And the point is, and, 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 and for very good reason, because in, in our way of reading, those stories are, I would say, not the primary stories. But if you have a different way of reading, if you're reading from a different perspective, from a Kabbalistic, from a mystical perspective, or from a particular mystical perspective, then those two stories are very important. And my point is simply, depending on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the community in which we're talking about, they may, have, they may single out different stories for their purposes. So you come to Shul and Rosh Hashanah, you're not going to be able to figure out, as I said in the, in the introduction, some of the stories are very important, some of the prayers are very significant for the Ashkenazim, from a structural standpoint, they are insignificant. So that, that's also important to know. But what's really important to know is what is the basic structure. Now, let, you have these three blessings, which themselves are unique. We have no other such place of three blessings, but each blessing has two parts. This is easy to see. If you just read it, you'll see for yourselves that the first part is a, a, some kind of a statement. And in the course of, these, of this statement, they're, they're also citing verses. And the second part, the second part, is a request. It ends with a request. So, for example, the prayer of Malchiot ends with a request, Elokeinu ve'elokei avoteinu, what's the request? Merocha kol ha'olam kulo b'chodecha. Merocha kol ha'olam kulo b'chodecha. We ask God to reign over the whole world. Right? That's, the, that's a request. The, the, the zichronot is a statement. At the end, Elokeinu ve'elokei avoteinu, Remember us for good. Remember Abraham. Remember the Akedah. Right? That's the second. And the third, Shofarot, revelation, the revelation that's structured past, present, and future. The prophetic writings are all about the future. And we say, Sound the Shofar of redemption. That's a request. So the truth is that the tenth verse that we are saying, 3, 3, 3, and 1. The 10th verse is related to the, to the request. In the second and third blessings, it's found in the middle of the request, actually. In the second and third, right? See for yourselves. You'll see it's in the middle of the request section. In the middle of that section, we have the 10th verse. What's interesting is that in Malchiot, the 10th the verse just immediately precedes the request. It's not in the middle of the request. And what is the 10th verse of, 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 of Malchiot, by the way? What is the 10th verse? Yeah? Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, Echad, which actually is a very strange verse. It's the only verse that doesn't have the word Melech. So that's also interesting. But we, we say Shema Yisrael in Musaf of, 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 of Rosh Hashanah, and the next words are Elokeinu, 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 Melocha kol haolam kulo b'chodecha. So that's a good question. Why is Shema Yisrael not in the middle of it? Make it a short test, okay? Yeah. <laughs> right, this is the chauffeur, you see? This is the <laughs> yeah. All right. There you go. Nothing we can do about that. Um, all right. In any event, so this is one of the questions. Why in Shema Yisrael, why in Malchiot is the 10th verse 
which is obviously connected to the request, why is that found prior to the request, unlike the other two? And the other two was found in the middle of the request. Anyway, that's a good question. Maybe if we have time, we'll deal with this. A lot, a lot of questions. I wanted to get back to... So the, let's get back to, the, to this business of the, of the verses. The, the, the text of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah are essentially based on biblical verses. Three from the Torah, three from the Psalms, three from the Prophets, ten from the Torah. It's interesting, by the way, to compare this to, uh, to uh, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, I'm going to tell you another interesting feature of the Rosh Hashanah service. There are hundreds of them, interesting features. On Rosh Hashanah, so of course, this, this, we, are, we have the silent Shemona Esrei, and we have the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. No, Rosh Hashanah. Oh. Get the Yom Kippur. It's, just, it's the same in both. Okay. And, and it, in each of these two, we have the silent Shmona Esrei, and we have the repetition. When the Chazan repeats the Shmona Esrei, before, before we start the section called Malchiyot, before Malchiyot, the Ashkenazim, I think the Shvardim also, but I, I know the Ashkenazim much better, the Ashkenazim, the Chazan says a little prayer. And the little prayer in this translation is found on page 155. No. Which, of course, is not structurally significant on any level, is a prayer the Chazan says before Musaf. But you're on the right track, by the way. You're on the right track, but it's not Hinani. Hinani is a custom Chazanim have to say Hinani before, before, before Musaf. Some people don't say it, some people do say it, whatever. It's supposed to be a silent prayer of the Chazan. It became a very big Chazanish piece, so the Chazanim love the Hinnani. But in any event, it's 155. One, in Adler, it's the bottom of 155. And the bottom of 155 is a little prayer. It starts with the words, Ochi Lola'el. Ochi Lola'el. Everybody sees that? Yes. What is Ochi Lola'el? What is that? One, two, three, four, five, six lines. And Ochi Lola'el, this is another important. In the Ashkenazic tradition, it's recited a certain way. It has, there's a nusach. The nusach is very important. The nusach actually tells us a lot about the davening. Anybody know how this goes? Ochil Gael? Ochil Right? Now, what is that tune? What is that tune? What is that tune? By the way, where else in the davening do we have the same tune? Where else does it appear in the davening? That tune, one other place it appears. That tune appears in another place. If you get the shul on time, you've got to get there on time. What, what? It's Shachris of Shachris. It's the beginning of Chazaris Hashatz. It's in the repetition of Shachris. Now, here's the important point. In Shachris, in the beginning, inside the first blessing, let's see where it is. In, this, in, in the Adela Matzer, let's find it. In the Adel of Machzer, it's on page, what's it, 90, let's find it, 90, 95, page 95, the morning prayer, right? So it starts, every starts, Baruch Atah Hashem, Okeinu, Okeinu, etc. Then, Misod Chachamim Unavoni, then Misod, and then, there's a little paragraph, Yoreiti Bifzoti Siach Lashchil, Yoreiti bifzoti siach lahashchil. This one is page ninety-five. Yoreiti bifzoti 
Siach liyashchil, Satanoya, Kobo melechados, Beneno rovidochil. It's exactly Ochil Lakel. Now he's Ochil Lakel, it actually has the same ending. Chil. It's all Chil, right? Yoresi bifzosi siyechu hashchil. Kumi lecharos beneno rovidochil. Vikotonti maas lochein azchil. All the way to the end. Every one of them ends the same way with the word chil. The word chil means what? Fear. Pachad. Yes. So what is what is yeresi bifsosi siyachah? What is misod chachamim nevonim? What is it actually? No. What, what, the, the one word. It's correct. That's what it means. What is it? How does it function? There's a word for it. It's called the rishus. Rishut. The Chazan asked permission to pray. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. In Shacharis, it makes total sense. In Shacharis, the Chazan is asking permission to pray inside the first, inside the, in the first blessing. Prayer means the Shemona Esri is Amida. So inside the first blessing, start Baruch Hashem, right away, the Chazan asks permission to pray. It makes sense. In the first bracha. But in Musaf, we don't understand it. In Musaf, the Chazan is asking permission to pray before Malchiyotzich, after Nisanatokov, after Kedusha, after all the Piyutim. On Yom Kippur, he's been davening for an hour and a half, the Chazan. And he's asking permission to pray. And what if we say no? What's going to happen? He's davening an hour and a half already. What, what is that? Why is, why is he asking permission? In the middle of the Shavona Esrei, before Malchi Yotzicharonat and Shofar. Actually, it's an excellent question. And some of the very interesting answers to this problem, which is one answer, which I think is probably true, is that actually Malchi Yotzicharonat and Shofarot, in the earlier, in the initially, a thousand years ago, was not recited by the congregation at all. Only, only the Chazim said it. So the Chazan is asking permission specifically in the part the Chazan says. Because the prayers of... There's something else interesting about Rosh Hashanah, by the way. What's interesting is that Rosh Hashanah is, is unusual in this sense. That in Musaf we have nine blessings. But in Mariv and Mincha and Shacharis we have only seven blessings. Only in Musaf do we have nine blessings. That's very strange that we have different number of blessings in the different prayers. The Baal Ma'ar from Provence... He thought that actually we say nine blessings in all the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, but nobody follows that. Nobody, we don't do that. So the opposite view is that no, we always have seven blessings. The nine blessings is only the Chazan. So when the Chazan began the part that's unique to the Chazan, the Chazan would ask permission. That's Ochilo Lakeo. Interesting, something else about Ochilo Lakeo, which is that the following. <coughs> if you look on page 155, where the Chazan is ask, asking permission, He's asking permission. It comes after page 154. What's up, 154? It means, very interesting. Rabbi Salavetri said this many times. It means that is not Malchios. Malchios does not begin with Oleinu Lishabeach. Malchios begins with the second paragraph of Oleinu. That's where Malchios starts. Because he's asking permission before Malchios. So where Malchios begins with what we call the second paragraph of, of Oleinu. Uh-huh. Now let me get to the point I want to make about, about, about Rosh Hashanah. 
On Yom Kippur, you have exactly the same format. On Yom Kippur, the Chazan also was asking permission to pray in the middle of Musaf. Same thing. And after the Chazan asked permission to pray on Yom Kippur, what is the parallel prayer? What is parallel on Yom Kippur to Malchiyot Zichrant and Shofar of Rosh Hashanah? What it, the Avod is correct. It's the service of the high priest. That's correct. The service of the high priest on Yom Kippur stands in relationship to Achila, to the request to pray, precisely as Malchiyot Zichrant and Shofrot stand in relationship to Achila on Rosh Hashanah. What is, how is, we are, we are in, that, in the middle of, of, of Musaf, of Yom Kippur, we are reciting, one might say even re-experiencing, is a tradition to bow down, is re-experiencing the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur. One of the few times we have in our service, I would say, maybe one of the time, we actually put ourselves inside the temple. We actually try to re-experience that, that being in the temple. That's in Musaf of Yom Kippur, the Avodah. But what is the composition of the Avodah based on? So it's interesting that Goldschmidt, Daniel Goldschmidt, who was the the choker, uh, the academic who worked a lot on the prayers, and he put out a critical edition of the High Holiday Service. It's excellent. And he collected various uh, liturgical pieces about the, this, the, uh, the, the service of the high priest, some of which are extraordinarily old. I mean, they really go way back. The, the two compositions that the, the Ashkenazim say for the Avodah Amitz Koach, which is a medieval composition, and the uh, Svarim say Atta different, also medieval. There's an earlier Atta which is very old, very, very old, who knows, 4th century, 5th century, very ancient. And if you look at the earlier renditions of the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur, you see something extremely interesting. And it's even true of our, of our, of our Avodah as well. That fundamentally, they are a recitation of the Mishnah in Tractate Yoma. The Mishnah actually in Masechet Yoma, first seven chapters, Yoma's, Yom Kippur has eight chapters, the first seven of which deal with the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur. It goes through it step by step. It takes you through the whole service. The earliest renditions of the Avodah, and even the one we have, is essentially a, a, a reworking a rendition of the Mishnah. So there's something very interesting in that. That is, on Yom Kippur, the core text, the text that stands right after the request for the, of, the, of the Chazan, is the recitation of the Mishnah. And on Rosh Hashanah, the Malchiot, Zichrot, and Shofrot are 30 verses from the Bible. Now why is that, actually? It's interesting. Exactly. What, what, what does that say to us? Let's, let's forget Yom Kippur for now. Deal with that. But Rosh Hashanah, we are citing 30 verses from the Bible. The whole the currency of our prayer is of the verses, biblical verses. Yom Kippur, not so. Yom Kippur, it's the Mishnah. So Rosh Hashanah, as I said before, Rosh Hashanah, what is Rosh Hashanah? It's the day of God's kingship. The focus of Rosh Hashanah is actually not us. It's, 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 it's God. God is king, God is remembering, God is present, God is revealed. So in talking about God, first of all, we're very uncomfortable to talk about God in general. We are tradition, so we use God's own language. We are, we are using the language of the Bible. 
That's God's word. We are using God's words to describe God. Yom Kippur is not about God. God is a given on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is about us. It's about atonement. It's about transformation. It's about tshuva, basically, in the elements of tshuva. So on Yom Kippur, that's a day about God, about us, we use, we're choosing our, our own text, which is the Mishnah. Mishnah is a collection of our insight, our wisdom, our understanding, our interpretation. The same way that before Yom Kippur starts, we do a very strange thing. We are annulling vows. The annulment of vows, as the Mishnah says, floats in the air and has no basis in the Bible. The annulling of vows is the prime example in the Mishnah of the power of the rabbis to, uh, to uh, interpret. So that's Yom Kippur. And Rosh Hashanah is not so. Rosh Hashanah is a day about God. As I said, if someone stops you in the street and says, what is it about? What is Rosh Hashanah? It's a day about God's kingship. And, and, and the second question would be, and, and, and yeah, and, and what is that? how does that speak to me? I mean, it seems very, how do I relate to that? So I would say, how do I relate to it? See, I, the truth, I tell you the truth. I think for us, I mean, I happen to love Yom Kippur, but the truth is Rosh Hashanah is much more important, I, I believe. And I'll tell you why. Everybody understands Yom Kippur, because that's how we grow up. Human possibility, human transformation, that's how we see the world. We see the world as basically, the world is ours. It's our world. We have all kinds of rights and privileges in our world. And Rosh Hashanah is, speaks in a totally different voice. It's not... It's, it's not your world. That's what Rosh Hashanah says. You are residents and strangers in God's world. Nothing to do with you. You, you. Yes, you're here to serve, no doubt, and God has entrusted you with a task, no question. But fundamentally, we live in God's world. That, that's Rosh Hashanah. And the Rosh Hashanah is a, actually it's a, it challenges us to see the world a different way, a way which I think we typically don't see it at all. That's not how we see the world. We see the world through your Kippur eyes about human possibility, human transformation. Okay, God's a given, God will forgive, but it's about us. And Rosh Hashanah is not so. Rosh Hashanah is something very different. God is king. We are living in God's world. God, God imposes on us. God, God, is, God took us out of Egypt not to make us free people. God took us out of Egypt to be God's servants. That's what the Chumash actually says when you read it. That's what the Bible says. Yes, God is concerned about suffering, no doubt about it. It bothers God. God empathizes with those who suffer. I don't deny that, of course. When Moses speaks to Pharaoh and, 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 and tells him about the, the, the plagues, he gives Pharaoh three reasons for the plagues. The first reason is, you will know that I exist, says God. And the second reason is, you will know I exist in the midst of your land. And the third is, you will know there is no God like me. And furthermore, I have a request from you. I want these people to be led out of Egypt. For what purpose? To to serve me. They're not your slaves, they're my slaves. That's what the Chumash actually says, and that's the end of Exodus. We are brought to Sinai, and we have to build a Mishkan. It's a place of service, it's a place of Avodah. That's what the Chumash actually says. That's not how we read the Chumash. We read differently. God took us out of Egypt so we can maximize our, uh, our uh, potential, something like that. I don't, I don't minimize that. No, because, because slaves can't make good choices, because slaves can't... I mean, that's, that's all true, actually. Only a free person can truly serve God. That's true. That is true. But that's not the main message of the book of Exodus. The main way to read it, they're both good readings, but the, prime, the better one, I think, or the one that's more emphasized, is take them out so they can serve me. That's what we say in Rosh Hashanah. That's what Rosh Hashanah is actually. That's what means God is king. 
So it's about human limitation, and it's about seeing the world in a completely different way. Of course, once you, once you, once you understand that, then you can move to Yom Kippur. And then you see the world, then you talk about, okay, I, I'm here to serve. How can I serve? I need to be free to serve. I need to be, to be in a better place to serve. How do I get to a better place? And all that, that's for sure. Now let me tell you, in the time that we have, we could spend many hours on the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. So this is the, the currency of the, 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 the Rosh Hashanah service is essentially a set of verses. But they're not simply a collection of verses, there are themes as well. So I thought it would be good to look briefly at, start with this middle section of Zichronot, the idea of, 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 re, of memory or remembrance, because here we get a sense of how the, I mean, apart from everything else, if you know Hebrew, this is the, the language is glorious. I mean, it's a very beautiful Hebrew. It's an old Hebrew, it's a very beautiful Hebrew, it's a poetic Hebrew. It's one of the most beautiful prayers that we have. So, Zichronot section starts in this, in this master on the bottom of page 136. It begins by saying, this is an old translation, God is both Zocher, God is remembering, and God is also Poked. Zocher and Poked, those two words are synonyms from one perspective, but no two words are identical, of course. Zocher means to remember, Poked is to remember, but there's a different nuance to Zocher and Poked. Zocher, for the most part in the Bible, is very positive, very, uh, God remembers fondly. God remembers and God redeems. God remembers and God responds. That's what Zoh- how Zocher typically is used. Pokade can mean to remember, can mean to redeem, but Pokade often carries with it another side. For example, what God said to Moshe after the golden calf, when Moses said to God, forgive them. If you don't forgive them, you can erase me from the book that you have written. God said, those who sinned against me, I'm going to erase. I'm not erasing you. You didn't do anything wrong. However, go back and read the people. Uviyom pakdi, on the day of, of, of memory, ufakalati alohem chatatam, on the day, right? I will, I will visit them. I will remember them, and I will hold them accountable. Pokeda avon avot abanim. God is visiting the sins of the parents upon the children. That's pokade avona. But the word pokade carries with it two sides, actually. Pokade, positive. What? Hashem, it doesn't always carry with it two sides, but even there, I, I believe that even Hashem pokaded Sarah has a, has a negative side to it. Why? Because the truth of the matter is that when Sarah was told that she's going to have a child, she laughs, and God calls her out for it. What do you think? Is not possible? We'll see who gets the last laugh here. And the fact of the matter is that what happens to Sarah's child after he's, after he's born? Sarah gives birth to the child, nurses the child, and then God says to Abraham, get up and go to Mount Moriah and bring him to me as a sacrifice. And in that moment, you, you wonder, if you never read the story before, where are all the promises and where does it leave Sarah? By the way, interesting, in the Chumash doesn't seem to directly deal with that, of course, but what's interesting is in the little poem that I mentioned earlier that the Sephardim say before they blow the shofar, O Kedah Nekad Vahamizbeach, 
one of the stanzas, the Ashkenazim would never have such a thing, but the Spartan, he's, he's about to sacrifice Isaac. So Isaac turns to him and says, what are you going to say to mommy? He says to him, right? What are you going to tell my mother? Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is very interesting. Only these, and what is the answer? There is no answer. Uh, right? right? It doesn't answer. What are you going to say to her? Right? And of course, they, she, she waited so long for me. What are you going to tell her? And of course, they okay, if I make out of Amisbeach, they refrain. But the point is, so the word Pakad carries, which is, which is why, actually, even though in the Gemara, we have ten verses. In each of the verses, the Gemara says the words, either the word Zocher has to, has to you have to have, have the word Zecher or Zocher in each of the ten verses. The Gemara comments, the word Pokate is also good. But in our, in our custom, the way we say them, we never use the word Pokade. In all the ten verses, we only have the word Zachar. The word Pokade we don't mention. Because the word Pokade, we're not so interested in, in Pokade. We're much more interested in God Zocher than God Pokade. But we begin, of course, using them interchangeably. The poem, which is this section, God is Zocher Masei Olam Ufokade Ko Yitzurei Kedem. And then it continues, Before you are revealed all hidden things, and the multitude of hidden things from the beginning of time. There is no forgetfulness. Nothing is forgotten and nothing is hidden. That's how it starts. Still doesn't say what the relevance of all this. On the next, you know, you remember, you, you remember all of the deeds. Every created being, from the word Yatsur, Yatsira. All the, all the created beings cannot hide from you. It's impossible to hide from God. Everything is known before you, who looks and sees to the end of all generations. That is to say, you look and see not just to the past, you look and see into the future. So it starts by speaking of a God who sees everything, the past, and also the future, and who takes into account the future, in other words, everything that we are doing, God doesn't always see the things that we're doing, but God sees something else that we ourselves can't see, the consequences of our, of our, of our actions. So only God truly understands. We do things, we don't understand why, often why we do things, and we solely don't understand the consequences. We have no idea. But God is the true judge. God understands truly the significance of what we do. Sometimes what we do appears to be very trivial, but has great import. Sometimes so important, so important, it's not important at all. God has a correct sense of all this. So it doesn't say exactly what this means yet, but it's clear that we're headed to some kind of judgment. That's what called we'll, we'll, we'll come to, yeah, we'll get to the word Chokzikaron in about two minutes. And now we say the following. Mereshit kozotodata from the beginning of time you made this known the next section is very hard to understand and, but I want to attempt to explain it you made this known from the beginning of time Hodata here's the key, key phrase this day the beginning of your creation Zikaron Liyom Rishon is a remembrance of that first day. Kichoku Yisrael Hu, a statute unto Israel, Mishpat Lelohe Yaakov, an ordinance for the God of Jacob. 
Now, this is very critical to understanding what's going on, is the statement that this day is a remembrance of, of Yom, Yom Rishon. Zikaron Yom Rishon. What is the illusion over here? It is the birthday of the world. It actually, in the Agadic statements that we have in several places, including the Talmud, the truth of the matter is that Rosh Hashanah in Jewish tradition is not the birthday of the world. We say Ayom Harat Olam, but more specifically, in the Talmud, the world is created, says the Talmud, on the 25th day of the month of Elul. Yesterday. Yesterday, right. 25th of Elul. The sixth day of creation is out of Tishrei. So the sixth day of creation is the day, the sixth day of creation is the day the human was created. And the Medrash suggests, and I'm sure that this text is playing off this tradition, the Medrash suggests that the day that Adam and Eve were created, they sinned. And the day they sinned, they were judged. So the first day of creation is the day of judgment. So that's what this prayer is saying. Today, we are remembering the first judgment. And we, Israel, Jacob, willingly enter into judgment. We, we celebrate, as it were, if that's the right word, we remember, recall, and enter willingly into judgment as a, as, and on the very day that the first humans were, were, were in fact judged. Adam and Eve were the first people, and now, now the text spells it out. And concerning nations, it is said. Because after all, Adam wasn't just a person. Adam is the world. So Adam is both a person, but also people, collectively. Now, concerning this day, it can be said about nations. And here it's clear. Which nation shall have war, sword, which shall have peace? Which will have famine, which will have plenty. That's as far as nations are concerned. And all created beings are are, are remembered. Hear the word pokad. To remember them for life or death. Who is, not, who is not remembered? Who is not counted on this day? All created beings are brought before you. Interesting, the word Yatsur appears many times. The word Yatsur, Yitzira, is a word specifically the Torah uses in the second creation account, not the first. Adam was Yitzira. God is forming the human from the, from the dust of the earth. So we are remembering that first creation. And collectively, peoples are judged collectively. Peoples are judged individually. Which people? Created beings. Briot. The, the remembrance of all beings, all that were formed, come before you. And what does that mean? And now it's spelled out. A person's deeds. What does mean? A person's task. It's a separate thing. Everybody has a mission. That's what this claims. Everybody has a task in this world. Are you fulfilling your task? Forget the details. But you have a mission. Are you fulfilling your mission? That's Pekudato. Arigot mitzadegaver. Arigot are the, I would say, how they translate Arigot over here. 
they translate deeds, but Alilah carries with it a much more negative. With, with, the Oleo, with schemes, scheme is good. The schemes, Alilah mitzad, the schemes that people embark on. Machshavot adam v'tachbuotav. A person's thoughts, tachbuotav, I would say, or maybe either rationalizations or machinations. V'yitzrei malrei ish, and a person's desires. There's only one word when you read this. Kavalt, this is hopeless. Eh? You stand before a judge. Everybody is judged. Not just what we do. Are you fulfilling your task? And the judge knows what we're thinking and our impulses and our rationalizations and our schemes. So what else can we say? What did you say, Ma'ale schemes, I would say. It means deeds, but it, no, no. it's a negative Yitzrei Ma'ale Ish. Yitzrei. Alilot means schemes, but Yitzrei Ma'aleish are the Yetzer, from the word play on Yitzur, the Yetzer. Yetzer is the, Yetzer is the, the impulses, the negative impulses. Sexual Sexual is one impulse, there are many impulses. Impulse in a negative sense. Yetzer, it's, it's, it's the things that we are, that are driving us. The things that drive us is what it refers to. God understands after all, God, God is the one that formed us. God understands us very well. So we stand in judgment as Adam stood in judgment. God's first Yitzirah. The theme is judgment. And the one that we recall in the first piece of this unbelievable poem is Adam. Adam is the first judged being. So it starts with Adam and it's the same day. We are being judged the same way Adam was judged. And by the way, he didn't, he didn't turn out too well in that judgment. So the point is, he's condemned in the, in the judgment. So, but nonetheless, we enter into this willingly. Yes? So it's from the Talmud that the day, the sixth day, yes. uh, man, Adam is created, he sins that day. According to and one... That day, right. he's, and that's in the Talmud. Yeah. That's Talmud. It's, 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 it's Talmud No, it's in the Talmud, actually. But the point is, it's found in, in several places. These are traditions. Right. There are many traditions. But my point being that the, this, this ancient prayer is, is uh-huh. using this particular tradition. So it starts with Adam. It starts with, after all, the day of Rosh Hashanah, Ayom Harat Olam. We are reminding ourselves of, of creation. When you, if, you, if we would stop at this point, it doesn't sound too, too good. Because it's basically pretty hopeless. But now we move to the second section. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope on Rosh Hashanah. At the end of the day, it is a holiday. It's a, it's a day of not full rejoicing. It's a happy day. We have to remember, remember that. And now we have to, one of the critical turning points. This is a very important turning point. Happy is the one who does not forget you. Now suddenly we're talking about remembering or forgetting, not talking about God. We switched it. Happy is the person who does not forget you. Happy is the person, Ben Adam, son of Adam, mortal, who strengthens himself in you. For those who seek you will not stumble. And those who trust in you will not be ashamed. For the, for the deeds, the remembrances of all beings come before you, and now we have a very critical phrase. Fiatod Doresh Maseikulam, 
you are Doresh. The word Doresh, the word Drisha actually, yeah. my father chose the name Drisha many, many years ago. And for the following, he didn't know Hebrew that well, but he picked a very excellent word. He picked it for the following reason. The word Doresh in the Torah has two different meanings. One is to study something very carefully. Drisha v'chakira. To study something intensively, not casually, but to deeply to study it. That's one meaning of Lidrosh. But the other meaning of Lidrosh, a judge is Doresh v'chokher. A judge looks carefully. But the other meaning of Doresh, which is very different, is to search. And since the idea of learning Torah was two things, was to take it taken seriously, you've got to study it carefully, but the study of Torah is not just an intellectual exercise, it's a, it's a, it's a religious pursuit. That, that, that's the idea of Drisha. And here we have it in the, in the service of Rosh Hashanah. God is judging everybody. The judge has to be very fair, treat everybody the same way. But the claim we make here in the service is that God does not treat everybody the same way. Because there are people who are Doresh. There are people who are seeking God. There are people who trust in God. And they will not, they, they will not, come, they will not leave empty-handed. They will, God will look at them differently. Those that don't forget God, God does not forget them. And now, the prayer service picks out a particular person that God was Doresh. In the sense, God, there was not equal treatment. God looked at him. If God... Look, here's the point. If God is treating, God is looking at it carefully, nobody is, there, there is no person who escapes. How could, nobody. So God doesn't, doesn't operate that way. That's what our service is claiming. For example, the government Noah Biavo Zacharita. You remembered Noah, right? You remembered Noah. What does it mean you remembered Noah? Government Noah Biavo, you remembered Noah with love. Here we introduce the idea of judging with love. You visited him, means you remembered him. With salvation and with mercies. When you brought the flood on the whole world, when you undid creation. That's what the flood is. But however, his, his remembrance came before you to increase his, his descendants, to build a new world, one might say. And now we begin to cite verses. Now we have the proof text. The first proof texts are in the context of Noah. So the, the way the section works is it starts with, starts with Adam. And then we move from Adam to Noah. The theme is that of creation, but the Noah, is, is it, Noah is the recreation of the world. The world is flooded. The, flood, the waters are flooding the world. And then the world is going to be recreated, reborn through Noah. So God is remembering Noah. And the idea here is that I would say God is singling Noah out. If anybody was ever singled out, it's got to be Noah. The whole world is destroyed. That God is not treating everybody the same. And we begin to cite verses that speak about God's memory from the context of not of judgment, per se, but of salvation. That's the verse of Noah. And then, two more verses on the bottom of 137, which speaks about God remembering. And the next verse is very significant, because the next two verses... The subject of the next two verses is not Noah, but suddenly we introduce a new person. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God remembered the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the context of the book of Exodus, where the people, God sees the suffering of the people, and God remembers, hears their cries, and, and remembers the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the next verse, the third verse from the Torah, I will remember the covenant of Jacob, the covenant of Isaac, and the covenant of Abraham. I will remember the land. 
the memory over here is not just memory. The memory carries with it arts as car is remembering in a, in, a, in a positive sense. I remember in order to, to help. I remember in order to redeem. These are the verses from the Torah. So the two, these two verses mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the truth of the matter is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not of equal significance on, 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 in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. One of these three is much more important than the other two. And obviously, the one who's much more important than the other two, the hero of Rosh Hashanah, Abraham. How do you know that? Because in the, in the, because in the, in the request section, which is part two, what does the request section say? Remember us for good, right? Okay, okay, remember us for good, right? With remembrances of, of Yeshua Verachamim, right? And remember the covenants, and remember the, 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 the kindnesses, and remember the oath that you took, that you swore, we Avraham Avinu, Baharam Moriah. So the request is focusing on one thing, the binding of Isaac. The binding of Isaac is not about Isaac. The binding of Isaac is about Abraham, the promises you made to Abraham. Abraham over, overcame his basic nature. That's what it says. His basic nature was to be kind. But he overcame his basic nature, we claim in our prayers, to do your will. So to God, overcome your basic nature. What is God's basic nature? What is God's seal? No, that's not God's basic nature. God's seal is truth. God's basic nature is truth. That's what we're saying. Overcome your basic nature. Your basic nature is truth. God's seal is truth. Right? But overcome it. That's basically what Moses prays for on Yom Kippur, right? Hashem Hashem Kerachum Vachanun. Okay, overcome the basic nature. Treat us not with emes. We don't want truth. We want rachum v'chanun. So the point is, that, that's what it says. We're just translating the words. Over, Abraham overcame his basic nature. So you too overcome your basic nature, right? And remember us, right? Remember us and, and fulfill the promises that you made. And now we have the 10th verse. And I will remember the covenant of days of old when I took them out of Egypt. I am the Lord their God. And now we end this section with Because God, you remember all the things that are, that, that are forgotten. God remembers all, all that's forgotten. There is no forgetfulness before your throne. This is how we end. So remember today for Remember today for us the binding of Isaac with, with mercy. Blessed are you, O God, who remembers the covenant. So there are three themes of Zichronot. The first theme is judgment. Judgment is, is uh, Adam. The second theme is providence. The, for the special people that God singles out. That's Noah. Noah. Providence. The special singling out. But of course... Singling out only works if you're a tzaddik and a tamim and all that. But what about the rest of us? We're not so holy. So what, what works for us? Covenant. So it's Abraham, it's, it's Adam, it's Noah, and it's Abraham. That's the structure. So one second, and I'll tell you something that's excellent. It's so, so true. And that is that the writer of this, the, the Talmud that identifies the writer, so Tikiyata de Beirav, the Talmud identifies this author of this section as Rav. Rav is the great Amora, 
first generation Amora in, in Bava. The, the Rebbe of the Yeshiva at Sura, Rav is a giant. Tikiyata of the Bay Rav, the house of Rav, his compositions are identified with the house. What's interesting is, if you think about Adam, Noah, and Abraham, right? Adam, Noah, and Abraham, when we studied the book of Breshit, I made the following point about Adam, Noah, and Abraham. Ten generations from Adam to Noah, ten generations from Noah to Abraham. If you think about the story of the Torah in the first 22 chapters of Genesis, the Torah begins with, with two creation stories, the second of which is the Garden of Eden. And from the Garden of Eden we are all expelled. We can never go back to the Garden of Eden. We're thrown out because of Adam's sin. We are thrown out of the Garden of Eden, never to return. You can't go back there. You can't go back there for a lot of reasons, one of which is, once you've eaten of the tree of knowledge, you have knowledge. The Garden of Eden was not intended for people that have full knowledge. It was intended for two innocent people, but not for people who have knowledge. So you can't actually go back to that Eden. The rest of the Bible is about finding the alternative to the Garden of Eden. And then there's the flood. So in the flood, the flood erases everything. It erases the first creation story, it erases the second creation story. The first creation story, the idea of God creator of heaven and earth, of the human being, Selim Elohim, the one who recreates that world is, of course, Noah. Noah is a recreation of the, of the first chapter. Noah is Selim Elohim. Selim Elohim Adam. So there's a recreation in the Torah of the first creation narrative. But where do we have the fixing of the second creation story? Where do we have, who's the person who discovers the alternative sacred space, the place in which God and the human can live together? And that's Abraham, in, and in, in two different ways. The two commandments to Abraham, the first command and the last command, are both the same, Lechacha. The first Lechacha is to the land of Canaan, the sacred space, where it's possible for you to live there if you behave properly to live there. And the last lechacha is the binding of Isaac. The binding of Isaac is the ultimate alternative. It's, it's a sacred space. It's the temple. It's Hashem Yireb. He names the place. The place which God is seen and, and sees. The place which God chooses. That's the, so the binding of Isaac in the Torah is actually, I would say, the end of part one, the end of the creation stories. Creation is completed through the binding of Isaac, when Abraham is discovering, he's, he's, he's the alternative to the Garden of Eden. He discovers the alternative, the place in which people with knowledge, knowledge means you can make choices. The ability to make choices, and if you make the right choices, you can live in God's presence. This particular poem, we call Zichronot, which is the central prayer of Rosh, of, of, of Rosh Hashanah, is based exactly on that model. It starts with Adam, it moves to Noah, it moves to Abraham, it concludes with the idea of covenant. At the end of the day, God, if God is going to be just simply judging based on, you know, checklists, then there's no hope for anybody, probably not even for Noah. But God doesn't function that way. We're asking God to, re, to, to look at us, not just as individual people who live today, but to see us in a much broader context of a covenantal people, of basically Abraham's children. We want God to remember us as Abraham's children, and remembering us as Abraham's children to recall Abraham's child, which is Isaac. So we, are, we, are, we see ourselves as Abraham's children. And we ask God to remember us in that way, Zohar Habrit. 
The truth of the matter is that there's something else here. Actually, I make two other points about this prayer, which is we end up by it's very strange. We end up by it begins by saying with the, the description in the beginning, which is here's an overworked overworked uh, word, which is true in this case. Awesome. The description is awesome. God remembers. There is no forgetfulness, we say to God. We know you know everything about us, much more than we know about us, about what we're thinking, about the rationalizations. We know very little about ourselves. God knows everything about us. We end the same way. We end. How does it end? You are remembering all the forgotten things. And there is no forgetfulness. And therefore, because there's no forgetfulness, we want you to remember Akedah Yitzchak. Truth of the matter is, we are, we are forgetting so many things. We choose to remember certain things. Many things we are simply forgetting. And uh, many people we are forgetting. The people, who are, the people who are forgotten people walk in the world, no one remembers them. People give up on them. People forget them. The trick is, the question is, what do we choose to remember? That's really the question of Rosh Hashanah. What are we choosing to remember? That's how our prayers are ending. We know you remember everything. You forget nothing. It's very strange. You forget it. You know everything. Okay. You don't forget anything. So since you don't forget anything, we want you specifically to remember this one thing. That's what we're saying, right? There's no forgetfulness. So therefore... But what is, it, what is in the forefront of our minds? That's what we're saying. What, what, what do we really care about? Things we really care about, we usually don't forget so easily. Sometimes we even forget those things. But the things we care about, so what should we be remembering? So we turn to God and say, we want you to remember this covenant. Because what's going to save us at the end of this day of judgment is seeing ourselves as part of a, a larger community. A community of, of those who seek God. A community of those who are enter into the commitments that Abraham made and see ourselves as beneficiaries of God's grace and God's promises and God's commitments. And that's how we, we choose to see ourselves. So, blessed are you, O God, who remembers the covenant. That's actually the, the central Zohar Habrit on this day, which is Yom HaZikaron. It's a day of, of, of remembering. I want to say one other thing about this prayer. We have very little like this in our service. I mean, this is something which is... Imagine what's here. I mean, people call it... It's unbelievable what's, what, what we're saying. We don't even think about it. It's, there's something else actually interesting in terms of the, the way this section is structured. It's structured, of course... So there are ten verses. It's all about... Because we're talking about God. We, the truth is, we are very reluctant to speak about God in general. The Talmud has great reticence when it comes to talking about God. Because whatever we say either will be wrong or, 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 or it won't be sufficient. So the Talmud has a piece of advice. In general, don't say so much. You know, don't talk too much. On the other hand, we feel an impulse to, to speak. So we, in Rosh Hashanah, we use God's own language. So we're quoting verses from the Bible. Three from the Torah, three from the Psalms, three from the Prophets. The three from the Prophets are the last three in the section of statements about God, then we move to the request. To remember us, remember us for good. Remember us for good. Remember the good points. 
So, before you get to the re- request, we have the section which speaks about the prophetic writings. It's one of the highlights of the davening. In the writings of your servants, the prophets, the following is written. And we have three verses. The first from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told to speak in the ears of Jerusalem. Thus says God. I remember, says God, those days of your youth when you walked, followed me into the desert in a land that was not sown. I remember you when, when you were much younger, maybe more idealistic, and you'd follow me, says God. I haven't forgotten the fact that you followed me into the desert. It's not a small thing. Same page, 130, 138. It's a few lines up, towards the top of the page, the three verses from the prophet. So God is remembering the way we were in the language of the verse, chesed n'uraych. A nar is a young person. Could be a boy, could be a teenager, could be a young girl, whatever it is, but it's a youth. Even though now we were very different, because I still remember you as a, as a, as a youth. And then we have the second verse. V'nemar... I will remember the, my covenant with you that I made when you were a youngster, a nar. And I will establish for you a covenant forever. That's the second verse. God is remembering. We're asking God to remember the way we once were. When we're a different time. Yes? Isn't it the use of the nation? Because that's what they got out of Egypt. It is the use of the nation. Of course. But we're also seeing ourselves that way. It's, just, it's on the level of the, the prayers are at the same time from the standpoint of the, of the community in which we find ourselves, but they're also personal. It's not, it's not one or the other, it's, 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 it's both. We see ourselves as part of a... Prayer is both. Prayer is we, we pray as a community, we pray as individuals. Different thinkers over time emphasize one more than the other. Maimonides very much emphasized the individual, much more than the collective. Now we have the last verse of Zichronot. Is not Ephraim beloved to me? This verse, by the way, is also the Haftorah for, for Rosh Hashanah. The second day of Rosh Hashanah, the Haftorah, ends with Habein Ephraim, right? That's the Haftorah for Rosh Hashanah. Isn't Ephraim beloved son to me? Im Yeled Shashuim, what? Ephraim is... I'll get to Ephraim. Since you asked the question, I'll tell you why. But wait a minute. Haben Yakili Ephraim. Isn't Ephraim beloved to me? Im Yeled Shashuim. A Yeled Shashuim. A little baby that I play with. Kimidei Dabri Bo Even as I speak, says God, about him, I am remembering him. Alkein Homu Meyaylo. And I actually yearn for him. Rachem Arachamenu. I will surely have... Pity on him, compassion. Rachem, from the word Rechem, womb. I remember the baby. The baby was born. I remember this baby. I will certainly have pity on him, Nuim Hashem. This is actually, it's one of the verses that is obviously one of the highlights of the davening on, on Rosh Hashanah. It's the last verse of the central section before we get to our requests. It's the last verse, and it's also the last verse of the second day of Rosh Hashanah Haftorah. 
And the second day of Rosh Hashanah, Haptorah, that's about, that's from, that's from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, for the most part, is not a prophet of consolation, but there are chapters of consolation. One of them, I think, I think it's chapter 31. Motzachin ba'midbar am saridei charev. They chose these particular haftarot for a reason. They're choosing very beautiful haftarot and very powerful ones. The haftarot of Rosh Hashanah on the second day, it's interesting, the hero of the davening on Rosh Hashanah is Abraham. That's from the davening, the Shemona Esrei. <coughs> but the heroes of the Torah readings are actually the women. On the first day, it's Sarah. On this first half Torah is Chana. And the second day of Rosh Hashanah, half Torah, it is uh, Rachel. It's Rachel. And in that half Torah, it talks about Rachel who doesn't give up hope. Rachel, Rachel, of all the patriarchs, matriarchs, is the one who refuses to give up hope. I hear, says God, I hear a cry in Ramar, in the high place. Rachel is crying for her children. She doesn't give up for the child who is missing, who is a nenu. All the language of the verse reminds us of Jacob. Jacob refuses to, to give up on his son Joseph, who is a nenu. So Rachel, being a Joseph figure in, in Jeremiah, also doesn't give up. She's the only one who doesn't give up. She's crying, and God says to Rachel, stop crying, right? There's hope. There's hope for the future. And, right? And who is Rachel's child that she's crying for? She cries for all her children. But specifically, of course, it's Ephraim. And they were all barren. Ephraim. Of course, initially. Ephraim is, the, is Rachel's child, born to Rachel after she dies, I would say. So Jacob says, I, Ephraim and Menashe, I, I adopt as my children. My children means Rachel's child. Rachel has a child after she dies, actually. And... Ephraim symbolizes in the U.S. Why Ephraim? Ephraim symbolizes very often in the prophetic writings the uh, wayward child. Sometimes we, the wayward child, Ephraim. Ephraim, the prophet's northern kingdom is Ephraim. Northern kingdom is born in sin, actually, and the northern kingdom is very problematic. And the northern kingdom is represented by Yeravim ben Nevat. Ephraim is a wayward child. Ephraim is the one, and sometimes the wayward child is Dafka, the one that we're more mindful of and, and, and more concerned about. And uh, that's the Haftorah. The Haftorah is, Shamoa Shamati Ephraim Mitno Dev. Right? I hear Ephraim murmuring, Ephraim is concerned. Kinosoti Urai, I bear with me the sins of my youth, says Ephraim. And God's response to Ephraim. And I think the answer, God's answer, can be interpreted in the following way. There are many ways to understand it. I'll just conclude with a little drush. I don't mean drush, it's not true. It's a drush in the psukim, I think it is true. It's true enough. To, in the, in, we are asking God to look upon us fondly. Three verses from the prophetic writings. The first two of them, we, we want God to remember the way we were in the days of our youth. Bimeinu urayich. Right? I remember right? Remember us when we were youngsters. Maybe we were teenagers. Maybe we were ten years old. But Ephraim says in the Haftorah, I remember the sins of my youth. I remember even as a youth I was problematic. 
So God's response to Rachel is, don't worry about it. Because I remember something else about Ephraim, not just the way he was when he was eight and seven and six. I remember something else. I remember the day he was born, how joyous I was on the day of his birth. That's Abain Yelet Shashuim. Rachem Arachamenu Numashem. I mean, the word Rechem, it plays off Rachel is the one who's crying. Rachel remembers her children. Everybody else gave up on, on them. Rachel's the only one who doesn't give up. And I'll tell you why she doesn't give up. Why it's Rachel Dafka. Rachem Avakab. Why we love Rachel more than anybody else. It's very simple. I'll tell you why. The Haftorah is about, second day Rosh Hashanah, Rachel is crying for her children, Ki Einenu. The children are missing. Where, where, where are these children? So it's clear, because God's answer is, Shavu Banim Lugvulam, someday they'll come home. They're missing, it means they're in exile. So everybody else, you know, I'll tell you what it is. Rashi says, I'll tell you something. Rashi says, when the spies were sent into the land, so one of the spies was Kalev. So Rashi says, Kalev went to Hebron. Right? Kalev is given to Hebron. The city of Hebron is given to Kalev. So Rashi, the Medrash says, why? Kalev was in the land of Israel, and he said to himself, I'm in the land of Israel, in the city of Hebron, Abraham is buried with Sarah, and Jacob with, 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 with Leah, and Isaac with, with Rebekah. How can I not go to pray there? So he went to Hebron to pray. He went to pray at the graves of our, of our ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Sarah and Rebekah and Leah. They're all buried there. So it's a place where the, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, the places that we go, we go there and we pray there and we connect to them there. But there's one matriarch who's not there, actually. It's Rachel. Rachel dies by Derek. She dies on the road. It means, she, it means she has no place. Rachel is the person who has no place. And the truth is, only the person who has no place understands what it means to have no place. No one else can truly understand it. So, of course, Rachel cries for, for those who are missing. She herself is missing. So only the one who is missing understands what it means to be missing. Which is why we love Rachel so much. In one form or another, we're all, if we look at it, we're all missing something. We're all not necessarily in the place we should be. So we are appealing to our mother Rachel, and Rachel cries for us, and she never gives up either. Just that everybody else has given up, but Rachel never gives up. Okay, I want to bless us all. We should have a good year. Amen. We should all find that place, and we should have a meaningful Rosh Hashanah. Thank you.